This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co host, as always, is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we got rid of the snow in, in our neck of the woods, AJ. I hope you guys did too. Yeah, no snow. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all gone. It's been a rainy couple of days, but it's. Uh, it's looking up. We're supposed to be, you know, climbing up into the, the 70s and even the 80s over the next couple of days. So looking forward to some warm weather here. That's for sure. Good, good. Well, I got to congratulate you and Kyle on this continuing series of analysis of teams and their cap structures. We're going to go through to the three teams that you guys covered off in the past week. That means it's uh, Buffalo, uh Arizona and Colorado, unless I messed something up here. I'm looking forward to diving into these three teams. None of them really hard up against the top end of the cap, so there's some flexibility in each of these cases where there wasn't so much in a number of other teams' cases that we'll be looking at down the road. So it'll be interesting to see what, what these three teams do. Uh, I know the Sabres haven't got many teams, many players even signed at this point, age. I think it was 10 of the 23 roster spots are filled so far, so they got some, some heavy lifting to do before the next season. Uh, starts in terms of cap compliance um anyway your thoughts on that and uh the disclaimer yeah absolutely i mean it's it's been a lot of fun to really dive into these articles um and and really see what the the cap situation is for these teams you know the three we talked about last week are all kind of in a similar situation like once you re-sign a lot of their own players including their their rfas there there's not a lot of uh wiggle room there for them to to move forward I, th- I think what's interesting is so we've kind of picked our teams based on polls uh the first two i tweeted out this this most recent one the third one uh the rotowire nhl uh hockey twitter tweeted that out and for whatever reason all of our our, our you know social media our listeners whatever none of you guys want to talk about the carolina hurricanes <laughs> <laughs> so for the third week in a row we will not be addressing uh, a metropolitan team because you know as i said last week we're kind of just going alphabetical order uh down the down the division list and for whatever reason we don't want to do the hurricane so we'll start next week off with detroit um and then we will follow up after detroit we are getting into um 
pull my notes up here. I lost it. Um, well, we'll start with Detroit, and then we'll go from there. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll have no worries. There'll be three teams anyway. Yeah, yeah, we'll have three teams starting with Detroit. Uh, so before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout each week, if you have uh, questions about any of these uh, any of these articles, if you have questions about your favorite team and what they may or may not do. Um, you know, if you have dynasty questions for your leagues that are still out there, and then obviously when we get back to it, uh, hopefully here soon, if you have questions about DFS contests, uh, please tweet at us and, uh, we will get back to you. We love interacting with all of you on social media there. So as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes two, four, and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. All right, AJ, uh, you and, as I mentioned, you and Kyle, our hockey editor, uh, have done a great job with this series of articles and exploring the way that teams will deal with their salary cap issues. And we'll start with the Buffalo Sabres. Why don't you lead us through the exercise, and I will give my thoughts on the compliance issues that may fl- face the uh, team in the Queen City. Absolutely. Well, one of the most uh, kind of interesting things right off the top is if you look at ratings for any uh, you know NHL uh, postseason Regardless of whether or not their team's in there, the Buffalo uh, fans always are highly rated. Uh, this last year, they were one of the top five cities in teams in terms of TV ratings for watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and again, the Sabres haven't been in the playoffs for, for a couple of years now. But for whatever reason, hockey is big there. And that's no different on what we saw with these articles. Uh, all you Sabres fans out there really ate this up. This has been the most viewed one of these series um, so uh, it was great. We, we thank you for that and, and for your you know, involvement in, in hockey in general. Uh, to get into it, looking ahead, as Paul alluded to, they have just four forwards signed uh, right now for next season in terms of you know, the guys in the NHL right now. Five defensemen, so pretty set there. And then one goaltender. Uh, your overall price tag for those 10 guys comes in at a little over $46 million. There's also about an $800,000 buyout. This has been the one exciting, fun part about it is these old names coming up, and and we'll get into another one uh, next week as well. Cody Hodgson, he was bought out in 2015, and they are still on the hook uh, for a portion of of that buyout. In fact, they have uh, two more years after this where they'll have an $800,000 hit. You know, there's a little bit of a difference uh, in terms of, of how buyouts work in, in affecting the cap. Uh, I should also point out they're still in the midst of their buyout for Christian Erhoff. There's a name you probably haven't heard for a while. <laughs> um, but his buyout is very long-term. Now, it doesn't cost them against the cap, but they'll still be paying him just about $850,000 a year through the 27-28 season. Uh, so they uh, wow. they bought out a, a long amount of that contract. But fortunately for the Sabres, it doesn't affect the cap. So overall, again, throughout this exercise, we're assuming the cap doesn't increase, stays at that $81.5 million. That would give the Sabres about $34.5 million in terms of cap space and 13 spots to fill. And it goes really quickly. I mean, honestly, just thinking about it, off the top, you know, it, it sounds like a lot of money, but this team has a ton of restricted free agents. I'll try and run through them relatively slowly here, but there are just so many. Uh, you've got Sam Reinhart, Dominic Cahoon, Victor Olafson, Curtis Lazar, Brandon Montour, Loris Piliot, La- Linus Allmark, 
and of course Tate Thompson as well. So you know, obviously that money is going to go quick. And first and foremost among this group has got to be Sam Reinhardt. And I I think what you're looking for here is is right around. Uh, kind of the two comparables I found were William Carlson, an eight-year, $47.2 million deal, and Jason Zucker, who signed five years, $27.5 million. I think even if we're looking at a, you know, a depressed market because of the, the cap space, you're going to... Reinhardt probably is going to come in around that $6 million mark, and I really don't think it would be the worst idea for them to give him that eight-year max. Lock him up long-term, get him you know hooked in you know six million is going to seem like a lot right now and then on the back half of the that deal six million is not going to hurt you uh too bad it's less than eichel or skinner and i think that's appropriate but it matches him up with kyle oposo and certainly he uh offers more to this team than than oposo does at this point in his career montour is a really tough choice uh for what to do with him he's already making 3.3 3.3 uh, a little over 3.3 million dollars but he's still an rfa so you kind of have to balance all of that out of like he can't really negotiate with other teams other than you know offer sheets which we've seen one in the last like 10 seasons or something um and i just don't see them really trying to go significantly higher i peg that at about three year 12 million dollar contract about the max um, then you have Victor Olofsson is the other kind of key player in this group that I think they need to sign. Look, the problem is the RFA thing for, for Olofsson's camp. You know, he, he doesn't have a lot of options here. So, and I also don't think the team wants to give him a contract that at the end of it would have him be a UFA. So I peg them to be in that two to three year market. And really, I know he had a great season, but he's still young. And I feel like around $2 million dollars, is probably a, about the cap. And that would put him on pace for the bridge deal that Lawson Krause of Arizona signed uh, a, a year ago, I believe. So other than that, you know, you've got Lazar, Piliot, and Thompson, all these guys I would peg for signing uh, their uh, qualifying offers. Shouldn't be too much heartburn. Maybe the team gives them an extra year or two here. Uh, and then Linus Olmark, I think his target range, you're looking at the Matt Murray deal that was signed a couple of years ago the thing with you know murray he had two stanley cup rings at, at, at the time omar very clearly doesn't um, but a three-year bridge deal that kind of maintains those rfa rights at the end uh you know and probably slightly less than where matt murray was um based on the the experience that murray had in the postseason so i i went for about 2.8 a year on that three-year deal so uh finally to round it all out this is a big group so okay. uh but, you know, there's a there's a lot going here is Dominic Cahoon didn't really get a lot of time with the club after the trade deadline. And then the league went on hiatus. But I really pay Cahoon and, and I've seen some other people push back on this. But I think Cahoon would be a fantastic addition to align with either Jeff Skinner or Jack Eichel um, because he's shown he's capable of playing with Crosby and Malkin. He's got such speed and tenacity that I think that's where you want him to be able to go into the corners, win those puck battles, create space on the ice for Skinner and Eichel to be that much more effective. And those are guys that don't need a lot of space. So if you can give them just that little bit more, I think he'll probably want to be on the other side of this, right? He'll want to not be an RFA after this, this upcoming contract. So maybe he's willing to take a little bit less 
for more term. And so I pegged this for about a four-year, $15 million contract. It fits well for Buffalo. It's a bump up for Cahoon without breaking the bank. So all that to say, that's my big RFA group. Uh, Paul, I know there's a lot to digest in there. Our listeners as well. Uh, if you feel like I kind of glossed over something, dive into that article, take a look, uh, and you can kind of read up everything and, and you know go back and be like, what did he say about Montour? Just check out the article. <laughs> Paul, uh, what uh, what are your thoughts on this this big RFA group? Well, uh, of course, Reinhardt is the big issue here. He was the second leading scorer on the club this year. I wouldn't have expected that. I would have thought that Skinner would have done that, but he flopped. And, and really, that's a cautionary tale. This guy's got one of the worst contracts on the club, uh, maybe in the NHL when you think about it. Uh, the cap hit is a large one, and uh, they can't afford to make any mistakes. So really, taking your time to understand what they got to do here is critical. And so they can't overpay the likes of Sam Reinhardt, despite the fact that he's on a very good trajectory. You're saying he's coming off uh, a hit of $3.7 million. He's got to get a bump over that, probably in the neighborhood of five, five and a half a year, like you suggested. is not an unreasonable thing. This guy's a lock to be a top six guy here for years. Cahoon is an interesting case, and you spelled it out very well. You saw him in his time with the Pens for a little bit, I think, and uh, you liked what you saw, and I did too. And uh, he's coming off the entry level of 925, but he's done enough scoring to merit a substantial bump over that and could be a threat for a top six in Buffalo's lineup as well. No worse than a, a solid uh, third-line option and a guy who's ready to fill in and maybe get some power play time in there. So I do think he gets a substantial bump. Olafsson is is the one where I think he's going to get a little bit more money than you projected, and, and they have room to do that. Uh, he's coming off the entry-level deal as well of 792000 but he was dynamic on, on Eichel's wing, and I think he moves right back in there to start the season, AJ. So I think they reward him handsomely for what he did. I could see him getting around three uh, at this at this stage in his career and maybe even a titch more if they want to do that the the guy that might be an expendable piece here is curtis lazar how many strikes does this guy get he's now going to head into his 20 age 26 season partner and really as much as i like the former world uh, world junior captain of team canada from years ago he really hasn't shown what i expected him to be at the nhl level and we're talking about a guy who's now into his seventh year as a pro and uh Boy, he, I don't know how you uh, give him another chance when maybe you might want to look at some of the other guys they have in the, in the minors and, and give them the same kind of an entry-level or uh, salary type thing when you look at not, not calling them an entry-level player, but get, getting these guys from the minors and getting them a look in the NHL. Casey Middlestad is a case in point, uh, for sure. Uh, a guy that has had a couple of cups of coffee with the Sabres. And even if they do sign... To a point, the reason I'm raising Middlestat's name is even if they do sign all the UFAs and RFAs that are listed on the cap-friendly site, that would still leave them one short of the 23-man roster, AJ. So that's why I raised that name and that possibility. But uh, I think you covered off covered covered it off very well. And Kyle raises a, a number of interesting ca- counterpoints and points in support of what you said. You guys seem to be pretty much in sync, and I think you covered it off uh, quite accurately in terms of what. The money might be that is spent on this class. So uh, why don't you lead us through the uh, UFA now portion? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, your your restricted or unrestricted free agents rather are a little bit more of you know kind of an, an older guard in in some cases, and then a handful of younger guys as well. It's kind of a mix. It's not one or the other. Um, you've got Wayne Simmons, Michael Frovik, Jimmy Vc, Zimis Gergensen, Johan Larson, 
Vladimir Sabotka and Matt Hunwick. Look, the first three easy choices to take off the board right away are Hunwick, who missed all season with a back injury. I wouldn't be shocked uh, if we see his retirement announcement in the coming days. Frolik, who kind of struggled to get into the lineup uh, towards the end, right before the league went on hiatus. And then Wayne Simmons, who it sounds like there was some interest in keeping him, but they were also looking at trading him prior to the debt, you know, to the deadline here. And I think, Paul, to your point about the youngsters in this organization trying to make, uh, you know, a push for more time, having a guy like Wayne Simmons just doesn't really offer them enough, in my opinion, uh, to warrant keeping him around. So for me, uh, I let all three of those guys walk. And I'm probably letting Vladimir Sabaka walk as well. He had that knee injury. Not sure how well or how quickly he's going to be available for them. I think if he's willing to take a pay cut, look, his numbers in Buffalo just haven't been great even before the injury. If he was willing to sign one year, $2 million is kind of my cap. Now, he made three and a half this year. So that's a pretty big cut for him. So I'm not sure that he's willing to take it. But this is a deal that I wouldn't expect to get done on July 1. I would expect Buffalo will say, look, here's what we're willing to offer, you know, in, for my opinion, one year, $2 million. If you can get better on the open market, go check it out, see what you can get. Um, and this will take a little bit longer into the offseason. And again, July 1 may not even be in play if we're, we're still playing hockey this uh, at that point. But you get the point I'm making. It's not going to be a first day of free agency deal there. Uh for Gergensen and Larson, look, these are some depth guys that can provide, um, you know, some uh, about 20 points a game, bottom six players. Again, it depends on what you feel like those youngsters can do. But in either case with these guys, I could see them getting two to three years each uh, and neither one of them would top the two million dollar mark. Uh, so right, you know, around where they're at. Gergensen's was one point six this year. Larson was one point five five. So really slight bumps um if they're willing to stick around for that the the big call here is obviously going to be jimmy vc you know he came into the league uh with all kinds of you know expectations after you know not signing with his draft team and then where was he going to sign and he got to pick his own team and really he's topped the 30 point mark just once in his four-year career um and i just it's been very hard uh, for me to commit long term to him at this point. And so I, I said, you know, three million is probably about the max that I would be willing to give him. That's a, a, a decent bump up for him. And I'm definitely not giving him term. I mean, two years uh, is about as far as I would go uh, for that one as well. So first question for you, Paul, of the three guys, we'll say four with Sabaka that I said probably are not back. Are any of those guys that you would want to keep around? And then, uh, you know, what do you do with Jimmy VC? I don't keep them around, AJ. I mean, we haven't talked about any team that could go shopping in the unfettered, unrestricted free agency world. Uh, yet, this is one team that I think is well-positioned to do so. Wayne Simmons showed me nothing for $2.5 million in a, in, a, in a key season for him. He signed that deal to, to prove himself, and what he proved was that he's got too many miles on, on him on that body right now, and uh, he, he has to take another similar contract, maybe even less money, somewhere else. I don't think he's going to get any more than $2.5 to try and 
rehabilitate his career uh, one more time, and he's not going to do it in Buffalo. And the same goes for Michael Froelich, expiring contract of $4.3 million. The guy didn't, didn't play more than 20 games, I don't think, for them last year, AJ, and only produced a few points. So uh, that's money that's, that's going to go elsewhere, too. That's $6.8 million on, on the two players uh, so far. And then Sabatka, you can say, another $3.5 million. They got about $10 million that they can play around with, 12 if you throw in Hunwick. Although they might be, if Hunwick comes back healthy, I saw enough of this guy to say he's a serviceable defenseman. So I'll put a little question mark by him. The injury issues are there and and could be a factor in play if it's deemed he's unhealthy. You add that to the mix, you're talking about $13 million that they can spend elsewhere, and I think they will. The the guy that gets a reprieve here is Jimmy Vesey, in my opinion. I know all about the hype. AJ, we spent weeks talking about this guy when he was uh, the apple of everybody's eye as a, a, uh, an unsigned college grad uh, a few years ago. And, and and uh, it seemed like he was going to be a superstar the way everybody was talking about him. We haven't seen it in four years, like you said. And Zemgus Gergensen, he's, he's a guy that $1.6 million, not going to break the piggy bank in Buffalo. They'll take another crack at him because he spent some time in the top six uh, over his time in Buffalo and uh, has some skill. And I think they'll give him another, uh, another look to see if he can upgrade his spot in the roster. And so he might be one of the guys that gets a reprieve from this group. Uh, any final thoughts from you on the Buffalo Sabres? Well, we'll, we'll take a quick look at, at some of those minor league uh, free agent guys. Again, we'll just touch on the ones who appeared uh, in an NHL game in 2019-20 uh, here. Uh, it's the four guys here. We talked about Casey Middlestat prior. Uh, that also gives you Scott Wilson, Dalton Smith, and Jonas Johansson, the, the other netminder here. So I think obviously... Um, you know, middle stat is not going to be, uh, you know, is a RFA. They're not going to let him leave. Um, whether or not they're willing to give him a little bit more money and a little bit more term, uh, other than just giving him a qualifying offer, uh, remains to be seen. I mean, a qualifying offer allows them to get away with a, a, a two-way deal for under 900000 in terms of base pay. Um, I think if they gave him a slight bump, for two or three years um he'd you know certainly be happy with that i think dalton smith is a kind of whatever player you know there's if they want to keep him they can and really the same with scott wilson you know he's going to be potentially like a captain type player for rochester uh their ahl affiliate so it might be worth keeping him around you know kind of for that veteran you know leadership there and then as i said Jonas johansson is kind of the other question mark here in terms of of the net mining but i don't really see a spot for him on on the 23 man so his qualifying offer there might have to be just enough paul did you have anything else about middle stat or did any of these other guys jump out at you as you know being potential 23 man roster guys I would say no, AJ, but in terms of the prospect pool, you mentioned Jonas Johansson is a guy that might be intriguing, but he is measured against Uko, Uko Pekka Lukanen, who is, by a lot of people's opinions, he's allegedly the Buffalo Sabres' top goalie prospect and, and the guy that they're really pinning their hopes on long-term. So that kind of hurts Johansson's case. If you're looking at the preparing for deeper pools, uh, he probably won't be picked, but Lukanen should be in most of those kind of uh, environments. So I'll throw that comment out there. Uh, in terms of the other guys, I really think that... Uh, 
Middlestat is is a guy that they got to think long and hard there about where he fits in. He's kind of flopped in terms of of uh, his situation in Buffalo. He, he started out as a guy they projected as a second line center, hasn't worked out at all, and he's been given multiple chances for that to reprise that role. Still very young, so they could afford to throw a million dollars at him and say, you know, it's time to put up here or shut up and and take your act somewhere else. Wilson is a veteran guy, and if if you want to plug him in. He won't uh, offer, uh, be offered much more than the $1.05 million that he got last year either. So the Sabres, bottom line for me is they have a lot of flexibility, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make a big play outside of this, the gr- this group of names that we covered off just because they have a, lot of bad, a number of bad contracts that I identified earlier, uh, up to about $13 million that they can go out and spend elsewhere, and I'm anxious to see what they do with that possibility. Well, yeah, I mean, that's certainly, you know, we started off saying they had 34 million. Obviously, a, a good chunk of that that 13 million that you outlined is is going to get eaten up by Reinhardt, Cahoon, uh, Olafson as well. You know, it, it goes pretty quick, surprisingly. But even with all the deals that I outlined, again, you can check into the article. I still see this team coming out of it with about four million dollars in cap space, which I think this year is going to be a lot of money. Um, I, you know, as we've gone through this exercise, there's not a lot of clubs that are going to have a ton to spend. And, and so I think just by retaining the, that huge block of RFAs for various deals, you know, like we said, 34 million, if you give six to Reinhardt, there's, you know, a, a big chunk of it off the bat. So we'll see how it all squares out. Paul, you suggested 3 million for Victor Olofsson. You know, that's nine just there for those two guys. And and they had a a lot of spots to fill. So, um, but yeah, 4 million, I I think uh, could be, uh, you know, uh, about what they're looking at. I tossed out one name uh, in my article, if, if only to, you know, uh, snare some, some Sabre fans is, is Tyler Ennis is going to be a, a unrestricted free agent this season. Maybe he's willing to make his way back to Buffalo. Uh, I think he could potentially slot in as like a third-line center, maybe even a second-line center to, to push Marcus Johansson back to the wing where, where honestly, he should be. Um, so that was one name that I thought, you know, with $4 million, they could certainly get uh, Tyler Ennis uh, and maybe even another player. Paul, uh, do, do you see uh, any names that stand out for $4 million, or should we just dive in? Uh, to Arizona right away. Here. I'm anxious to get on with Arizona situation there. They're a little more dicey against the end, the top end of the cap when you start to factor in the biggest fish there. And I can't wait to hear your take on what they do with Taylor Hall if they get a chance to even retain him or is he deciding to pack his bags. There's been no real talk about either direction yet, but uh, certainly that's the big fish in Arizona. And uh, with that, I'll, I'll get you to tee, it, tee up the whole situation with the Coyotes and uh, we'll knock it around a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the Arizona Coyotes for years have been that team where, you know, bad contracts or or retired LTI card uh, contracts go to die. But unfortunately, uh, that has changed and they just don't have the the cap space that that they normally have in the past. Um, You know, look into next season, 10 forwards, six defensemen, two goaltenders under contract. So not a lot of spots to fill. Um, one of those forwards factored in there is Marion Hosa, who will be on LTIR. So that'll save them about $5.2 million against the cap. But they were already uh, with that 10, 6, and 2 number at 80, you know, just about $80 million. So that's, you know, $1.5 million. That's not a lot of room. Overall, they end up with six 
$2.785 million uh, remaining and six spots to fill on that 23-man roster. And, you know, all but about a million and a half of that comes from Marion Hosa being on LTIR. So there are some really tough choices here. And, you know, I would say at the time of the signing, locking in Clayton Keller on an eight-year deal at, you know, just over $7 million a year probably seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, and I made no, I didn't argue about that at all, but that is going to eat up a ton of their cap next season. Uh, if they are in fact, uh, you know, a, a flat cap here. So looking at our restricted free agents first, again, you know, I, we haven't really touched on this. I assume everybody knows, but just in case restricted free agents are guys that can only sign with their club, uh, with, you know, one kind of weird exception that, that we rarely see, but essentially the team owns their rights and they have to sign with their own team, be traded, or there's compensation if they do sign elsewhere. But starting with that RFA group, you've got Vinny Henestrosa, Christian Fisher, and Ilya Lebushkin. Uh, I did my best on that one. I think I got there. Nailed it. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> so I, I think for Lebushkin, the, this one's easy. It's a it's his qualifying offer would be about nine hundred, just a little over nine hundred thousand on a two way deal. At best, you're looking at a guy who's going to be your seventh defenseman. I mean, they've got they've got six guys under contract next year who are all NHL caliber players. Uh, you know, they're they're not going anywhere. You know, the only way Labushkin moves into that top six, in my opinion, is if one of these other guys gets traded um, at some point here. I, I just don't see how he's you know not not more than that seventh defenseman at best. So for him. Uh, I just think the writing's on the wall. Sign your qualifying offer. The only way I could see something else happening is a handful of time we've seen a team that's hard up against the cap like this convince a player to take slightly less money, but they give them a one-way deal, which makes it harder to move them to the minors. You have to go on waivers first in order to be able to move to the minors. So that's certainly an option here, and maybe he'd be willing to take that. Look. You know, I'm going to make more actual money because when they're in the minors, they don't usually make their full NHL salary. Um, so I'll make more overall money because it's a one-way deal, even if the overall base pay listed on the contract is less. So I, th- I think that's one option for them here. Um, from there, you know, we'll dive into, uh, you know, Christian Christian Fisher and and. I think ahead of this season, a guy that you know we both know pretty well based on his history, Kasperi Kapanen had signed a three-year, $9.6 million deal. I think that would have been a really fair comparable to Fisher, um, you know, but I just don't see him getting more than that $3 million because his sophomore campaign this last season was really disappointing. Um, you know, had a, a great first year, and, and then it just kind of fell apart. So, um I think we'll see him slightly less than that, maybe a three year, $7.5 million contract. So a cap hit of about 2.5 a year. And then at that point, I just don't see how the math works out Uh, already. We're not even into the big fish on the unrestricted free agent guys, but already I don't see how Vinny Hinestrosa can be back with this club. His production is not enough to warrant keeping him around. Ideally, you would trade his rights away so you could maybe snag, I don't know, because there's no contract, maybe you can snag a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick. Um, You're not going to get a ton back for him. 
because there's no guarantee he signs with whatever team you send him to. But I just don't see it working out. So really, the only one of these guys I see getting any sort of pay bump is Christian Fisher. But I think his bad, his one bad year is really going to depress the market for him. Paul, uh, do you maybe let Fisher walk and keep Hinestroza? What, what say you on this? these three RFAs? I like that, what you just said. Hinestroza, to me, is worth uh, finagling things, and Fisher might be the guy, the casualty. The math that I'm doing while you're talking about all this stuff is really staggering when you look at the situation. They've got 16 players signed. They've got the, the, the uh, long-term IR situation of Hosa that's going to come off the total that you quoted of 79. So that brings it down to 74. But the cap, it's 81 and a half. That means they got like seven and a half million to sign all these guys. And, and we haven't even talked about Taylor Hall at all. He would eat that up by himself, AJ. So, so they got some, some really interesting calls to make. Carl Soderberg uh, as a UFA, we'll get to him in a second. It might be a guy to look at. But dealing with the RFA situation, Hinestroza is the guy that I think they need to make room for. And, and so Fisher, to me, is the casualty. Lubushkin is a, is a, would be the sixth defenseman on the roster. And I don't think he would command much more than than what he got in the last year of his last contract, 874. He's going to need to re-up for something around a million bucks to to help this team be cap compliant. So uh, the heavy lifting, though, is what they do at the UFAs. I'm really curious to see what you think about that situation, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to clarify, Paul, I think uh, if you're looking over at Cap Friendly, they've got Jacob Chisherin's hiding under IR. Right. Uh, so that actually gives them uh, six, I think, making Lubushkin seven. I don't think he's the six over Jordan Osterley. True, true. You're right. Uh, so... But, yeah, to get into the unrestricted free agents, look, there's only really three guys here uh, that they have to talk about, and that's Carl Soderberg, Brad Richardson, and some guy named Taylor Hall, uh, Mm -hmm. who we may or may not have have heard of before. (laughs) Part of the reason that they were even able to make Hall work this year is that um, a bunch of his salary was retained by New Jersey. Arizona's only paying him $3 million this season. Uh, You're not getting Taylor Hall to sign for three million dollars it's just not working um and carl soderberg i think is in the same boat same boat i think soderberg you have to let him walk um his price tag is too high he's already 34 years of age so i just don't see any way to make it work and honestly even if they had a bunch of cap space for whatever reason um again i just don't see soderberg really fitting in here anymore that the team's gotten a little bit younger They've got some different, you know, veteran leaders around, and, and I, I think it's just time for for them to let that let that contract fade away. I'll talk about Brad Richardson as well. Um, you know, he's maybe the one guy that uh, they could figure out how to fit here. He made just one point two five million last year. Um, he is getting up there in age. Obviously, he's thirty five years of age, but if he's willing to play for one point five mil. Uh, maybe 1.75 a little bit of a bump it's certainly worth keeping a guy that's going to stabilize the center of your lineup Um, and so I I, I could certainly see them you know giving him a a little bit extra look at the end of the day I think Taylor Hall depressed market or not I think Taylor Hall at most at at least uh, is going to want seven million dollars and I talked off the top they have only six, uh, you know, 6.7 available in terms of, of space when you factor in the LTIR. Right. 
it's just not going to work, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll throw out one extreme possibility. If they were to trade away both Alex Goligoski and Nicholas Yarmelson, that would give them about $10 million in space that they could then spend about eight and a half of that uh, on Taylor Hall. And then they'd have to bring up, you know, two guys from the minors who make a relatively discounted low salary. Um, it's certainly possible. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a team that would take either one of those guys. Arizona doesn't have a lot of draft picks this year. They just have a second-round pick. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with the timing of when the draft is, they may not even be able to trade players at that time of year, so that may not even be um, a factor. So, really, that was the only extreme way I could think of when looking at next year's cap situation to even remotely make something work where they could offer Taylor Hall. And because of everything with uh, that's, you know, pandemic and the league being on hiatus and the timing, if we're going to have a June draft before the league season even ends, that kind of goes out the window. So really, I, I just don't see it working here, Paul, as much as I'm sure they want to keep Taylor Hall. I don't see any way that it happens. And, and maybe, you know, do you have any other creative ideas or any other suggestions for them to make that work? I don't, but I love the suggestion you made about trading their, getting their 30-something defensemen in terms of age, Goligoski and Jalmerson, out of the way. That frees up about $10 million out of, out of the cap uh, commitments that this team has. But then they're really going to have to bring up uh, some, some untested players on the defensive side of the puck. Let's look at it from Taylor Hall's perspective, though, AJ. The, the salary cap is looking like it's going to be level at $81.5 million. I don't think there's a whole mitful of teams out there that are going to be able to afford this guy at a market rate that he would be happy with. So does he take a one-year deal for as much money as he can get wherever it is and then try and hit a home run, assuming the salary cap rises a year out from now. That's another scenario that we could anticipate. There's been no talk about the Taylor Hall situation for months. And, and really, with the cap being level, I think that's a possibility that certainly is, is realistic, at least from the perspective of the player, in my opinion, AJ. And, and uh, uh, that's my thought on it. What do you think about that possibility? Well, I think that's honestly a great idea. And, and you know, you're you're betting on yourself and in, in a player like Taylor Hall, but this wouldn't be the first time that he's done that. So, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he gets what he can and settles for, you know, I still don't see how Arizona makes it work. Unfortunately, for any Yotes fans that are listening, even Paul's idea just doesn't work for the numbers here. But if Taylor Hall could sign somewhere, maybe he only takes six million yeah. or seven million this year on a one-year deal goes back into free agency the year after and that's when he cashes in the hard part about that the the one maybe caveat to that is if he's signing right now he's signing as a 28 year old so five years you're looking at you know a five-year deal you're looking at him being 33 at the end which is certainly uh fine when he's 29 next year is somebody going to be wanting to give him five years when you're looking at you know 34 now Mm -hmm. so it's a tough choice but i definitely think it's one that should be you know his camp i'm i'm sure has thought about it and it may not be the worst idea and Uh, the, the other thing i'll throw out is there's a new expansion team on the horizon too Maybe a year out, Seattle makes a big splash for him too. Uh, that's a possibility, and 
could they be looking at a situation where they they have a, a, a deal with with uh, Hall and say, you know, you sign with your club there for a year, then we'll make you the signature guy at a max a max level deal. If we take on, the, if maybe they take on Goligoski and Jalmerson in the in the interim, so it could be something wacky like that that takes place to to bail these guys out uh, down the road. But that's just a pipe dream right now. I mean, Seattle can't factor into picking up these contracts but they can certainly tell hall you know bide your time we'll help you out with a deal and and uh who knows maybe they get their signature player out there yeah it's certain it's you know all things are on the table in this kind of weird time that we're looking at um you know we'll talk real quick about those minor league free agents with one game played and and part of the reason i want to touch on these guys is Let's say they pull off the Goligoski and Jarmelson trade. We talked about uh, Labushkin, you know, taking. Uh, he would get bumped up, obviously. They would have a few more spots to fill, and, and some of those on the D would be Jordan Gross and Kyle Cap, uh, Bianco. Both are guys that I would expect to get nothing more, really, than their, their qualifying offers um, that they'll receive, uh, which are about 800 and, and 700 uh, thousand respectively and i i just don't see the team investing significantly now if they traded jomerson and goligoski maybe they do something like i said about labushkin with one-year deals and, and make that all work the other guy that uh they have to consider this season is aiden hill has really been a capable number three for them but unfortunately you know they still have anti ranta and darcy kemper both locked up uh, for a combined $8.75 million next year. So there's just not a spot for Hill um, on the 23-man roster. And I think it could, you know, become a situation where maybe they look at the depth that they have in this organization uh, and they look at a guy like uh, Merrick Madsen and say, look, he's, you know, going to be a better long-term option for us. We're going to let Hill walk potentially uh, if they just can't get something done, if he's refusing to sign a qualifying offer or something like that, um, you know, they have David Ten- uh, Tendek, another kind of young prospect whose uh, entry level deal will kick in next season. So they, they wouldn't have to worry about organizational depth if they let Hill walk. So kind of an, an interesting if you're one of those uh, if you're a minor league junkie and, and kind of like getting into all that, it's it's one of those to maybe really watch out for. Paul, do you have any feedback on that group, or or is it time to dive into the the Colorado uh, club? Well, I'll say my comments on the goalie situation. You're talking at a tandem that's going to have both goalies over the age of 30 uh, retained on uh, large chunks of money, really, when you look at it. And they'd love to divest themselves of one of these two. And maybe it's to a team that would otherwise be locked into their, their existing goalie mix and might be looking at an upgrade by adding one or the other of, of these two fellas it looks to me like Darcy Kemper has been the guy that is, is the number one and, and Ranta would be the more expendable piece he comes with a, a ticket of 4.25 million if another team is looking for an upgrade in net and maybe have somebody contest for their top role there I suggest he might be the possibility if they're trying to find a way to squeeze Aiden Hill into the mix and Hill showed me in flashes that there's something there and and uh, at 24 years of age, coming off an RFA, he might be a, a more affordable backup, more reasonable backup that gives them some roster flexibility if they can find a way to move, move uh, one of veteran goalies. And again, that all reverts back to any effort that they might make to, to make room for, for Taylor Hall. That's another consideration that, that 
I want to throw out there for for your for your readership and and our listeners too to consider. AJ, yes. let's let's round it out with the last team in the mix. Yeah, so we're that's certainly a, a good possibility there as well, Paul. You know, for for terms of what we're talking about here, we did Buffalo, ton of cap space, lots of RFAs. Then we did Arizona, no cap space. Uh, and now we're back to Colorado, which is more similar to Buffalo cap space, but RFAs uh, that need to, to get contracts here. And so uh, you look at the situation, uh, they've got eight forwards, four defensemen, and two netminders under contract next season for a little over $59 million, which leaves them in our flat cap scenario with about 22 and a half uh, remaining. Right. The the restrictive free agent group here, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. You know, most teams don't want to let these guys just walk away in free agency. Um, but I think this is a group where we may see some of that here. And, and I think they're just guys that, that have underperformed or, or just aren't fitting the bill uh, combined with other players coming up. So we'll, we'll take a look. The overall group you're looking at here for restricted free agents, Andre Burakovsky, Tyson Yost, Valery Nanushkin, Vladislav Kamenev, Nikita Zadarov, and Ryan Graves. I think if we talk about the blue line first, you have to really consider the fact that Bowen Byram is making his way up potentially next season. Racked up 52 points in 50 games uh, for in the uh, Western Hockey League with Vancouver this season. And look, this is a guy that was drafted fourth overall. You don't take a guy that early to have him sitting in your AHL affiliate. So I really expect him to make the jump next season to being a full-time NHLer. And so that gives them five defensemen uh, in this group already. Uh, so not a ton of space for guys like Zadarov and Graves. Uh, you know, part of it too is the fact that Samuel Garrard has his contract kicking in next year. He'll be making $5 million. So again, you're, you're trying not to use up all of your money uh, in one spot. So I think Graves is a better long-term option here, and they can get him in cheaper for Zadarov. Zadarov is already uh, making you know $3.2 million. I think letting him walk in free agency, uh, if they can't find some sort of uh, trade uh, option, uh, is probably the best choice. The one uh, kind of comparable contract that I see fitting for Ryan Graves is the bridge deal that Stefan John signed back in 2018. It was a three-year, $7.5 million deal, and I would expect overall uh, that, that Graves could get a similar contract and, and really work out here as, as um, an extra defenseman for this group. Looking at the forwards, you know, in the, in the minors uh, with the Admirals here in Milwaukee, uh, Kamenev was, was absolutely a beast had uh you know 51 points in seven games uh, a couple of seasons ago but it just hasn't worked out at the nhl level for him you know he's played in 66 games for nashville and colorado has just 13 points left um i think if he's unwilling to sign a qualifying offer which would come in at about 800,000, then i think they let him go he's just not worth um you know investing significantly more based on on what he's you know showed this year I think, uh, you know, Nanushkin uh, uh, is another difficult choice here. You know, he took a pretty significant discount to play uh, for the abs this year after uh, having his previous contract bought out by Dallas. And I think he's going to want to get back to getting paid around that $3 million mark that he was. And, and I just don't see 
them going that far, uh, I think maybe a middle ground here is going to be a little extra term. You give them three years at, at two and a half a year, I think can can make it um, make it work out there. Uh, Burakovsky, another player who uh, I think is going to be a tough negotiator negotiation for them. Uh, you know, he, you know, they could just try and hand him a qualifying offer, which would be $3.25 million for another year and let that kind of kick the can down the road. Um, but I would, add, I would expect that he wants a little bit more term uh, on that deal. And so, uh, and that he'll want to be making more money than the likes of Jonas Donskoy or JT Comfer. Uh, and so I think, you know, what, what you'll, ultimately land on is possibly a five-year 22 million dollar deal it gets him slightly above those other guys that i mentioned uh and really uh propels him in into you know uh, the middle range of this group and i think he's worth more than donskoy and comfier based on you know their production on the ice so i don't have any problem with them giving him a little bit of the extra money there finally uh, we'll talk about tyson yost uh, some e- there are some very easy comparables, I think. Last season, Pavel Zaka and Adrian Kempe both signed three-year deals that came in at two and a half, uh, 2.25 and $2 million respectively. Yost has not been as productive as either of those guys, so I would expect him to miss out on that $2 million mark and maybe sign closer to $1.8 on a three-year deal. So uh, I think there's a couple, you know, they are, should let Kamenev most likely and Zadarov walk um, and then get get these other guys some, some modest raises. But I don't think there's anybody that's going to warrant a huge contract. I think Burakovsky is going to be the biggest one paid out of this group. Paul, what say you about these restricted free agents? I like your call on Burakovsky. He's a guy that produced about uh, – Point seven five points a game uh, in the games played. He missed a whole chunk of the season, but when he was healthy, he looked really good on the second line in this in this club. And I think he gets the big pay raise. I like I like the Ryan Graves effort in in his rookie season he was a point producer on the defense and you can make the case i can make the case that i'd see him as a top four defenseman here for a long while so i'd like to see him get a significant raise over the 735 entry level deal i could see him getting two and a half to three a year on a on a four-year deal uh, for his services and uh, and the role that i expect him to play i agree with you that zadorov is a guy who has kind of worn out his welcome here uh, by underperforming the 3.2 million dollar cap hit so maybe they give some of most of that money to graves and and their defensive needs are pretty much looked after aside from uh, re-upping uh, the a couple of ufas we'll talk about in a minute the rest of the forward situation in terms of the rfas nichushkin is an, in, an interesting case for me AJ you know I like them big and I like them fast he has those skills and he finally showed some scoring skills for the first time in his career last year in a in a period of about two months during the course of the season of course there were more than two months played so the other part of the season we saw more of the Nichushkin that we've seen in the past where he was a bit of a flop so uh, you can't give him the giant uh raise over the 850 but certainly something in the neighborhood of two million dollars a year should be enough to lure him back and get get him to uh, get his head in the right space to compete for a, a top nine role at least on this team and if he could play like he did for those two months they he he'll be worth a lot more than that two million dollar deal kamenev you mentioned he has underperformed and uh, is is an expendable piece so uh, to me, to me, 
Tyson Yost is the one with the question mark. Formerly a high draft pick by this club. Coming off an entry-level deal, he's, he's only scored in the low tens uh, in terms of goal scoring. More was expected of him. So he's gonna, I, think, I think they're going to give him another crack at showing that offensive upside. But again, they, they want to be careful about not overpaying for a guy who came with a pretty nice junior-level pedigree, hasn't shown it at the NHL level. So does he accept a bridge deal uh, of something in the neighborhood of two, two and a half? That might be what his ticket price might be. So uh, interesting decisions. I, I think the most, most curious one for me will, will be how they deal with Nachushkin and do they reward Ryan Graves handsomely like I think he should be compensated. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll dive in on our on our unrestricted free agents from there, and it's it's a decently sized group here. Uh, you've got Vladislav Nemesnikov, Matt Nito, Mark Barbaro, Kevin Connerton, Michael Hutchinson, and Colin Wilson. So a couple forwards, a couple D, and a netminder here to to consider. Look, I'll start with Nemesnikov. He was the highest paid of of these unrestricted free agents this last year. Um, you know, the this is a guy that's played on you know several different teams three in fact this past season alone four overall he just doesn't you know live up to expectations did okay in in his limited time in Colorado only got to play in nine games had six points in those outings but really I would expect that he's going to want a deal that that at least matches the the four million overall um, he was making this last year Colorado was only on the hook for for three uh, three and a quarter there, but uh, overall he made four. And with the kind of depressed market we've been talking about, maybe he's willing to take less. But I just don't see it being a fit. I, I don't think they're going to want to spend the money on on a on a guy that just doesn't live up to expectations. So I expect him to be playing for his fifth uh, fifth team in you know in a in his eighth NHL season. <laughs> With Wilson and Nito, these are basically the same player. Um, bottom six guy can put up 20 to 30 points, dishes out some hits, but they've got a, a handful of youngsters coming up. I'll name a few, Sheldon Dries, uh, Martin Kraut, TJ Tynan. I think all those guys are going to be looking for more ice time. And so really for me, I maybe consider retaining one of the two. Uh, Wilson has the injury concerns over the last year, was more expensive overall. So I think Nito on a two-year, you know, $4.5 million deal, something like that, just over two in terms of the annual uh, value, I, I think that works well. And I think you can say the same thing for Barbaro and Connaughton. Again, two defensemen who are basically the same player. They're both 30 years old, making about the same amount of money this, this last year, have limited off offensive upside. Um, I think you maybe keep one of them. Um, and honestly, I would say you take whichever one will take less money <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> blunt about it. I would say at, at max for either player, I'm looking at a two year, 1.6 a year deal. Um, and that's absolute max. Again, they've got players coming in. You've got Graves, you know, looking to make an impact. You got Byram. Uh, and so I don't see how you bring back both of these guys and, and the abs won't be bringing Hutchinson back. Um, and I'll, when we get to, you know, kind of our minor league guys looking to play more games, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about why they won't be bringing Hutchinson back. But it, it, it won't be here for him, unfortunately. So that's how I see this UFA group, uh, you know, kind of rounding out. I think I only have two of these guys returning to the team, uh, likely, you know, Nito and, and maybe 
you know, Connaughton because he'll take less than Barbara or something like that. Paul, do you make an argument for them to sign anybody else or, or just Boy. those? To me, Nemesnikov is the head scratcher. You made the point. He's bounced around like crazy. He showed well offensively in the short time that he was with Colorado. And if they lean on that, I could see them giving him a shot. But I don't think they want to spend a penny more than $3 million on this guy. So he'll take, have to take a bit of a haircut here, in my estimation, if he wants to return and get a shot to complete a couple of seasons with the same club for the first time in a long while. But uh, failing that, I think you're right. It's a coin flip on the defenseman. I'll go with Barbario. He played a little bit more than Connaughton, who was dealing with uh, more serious injury issues last year. It's the same money for either one or the other. Matt Nieto is a guy who's been a fixture as a third-line player throughout his career, and uh, he's probably been well compensated at just a hair under $2 million last year. If, uh, if uh, they can fit him in at 2 they'll try to do so just for the veteran presence, I think. Colin Wilson becomes expendable. Mike and Michael Hutchinson, uh, no room for him in my my NHL, in my opinion. Uh, I saw what he did in Toronto, and he kind of damaged the bed when he had uh, a chance to prove himself and uh, behind a pretty good team in, in Toronto, and he didn't do it there. So really, they can they can punt him uh, at that uh, minimum contract that he was at. So uh, the decisions for me, Nemestikov, the head scratcher, uh, again, I might rate him a little more highly than you, AJ, and I'll take Barbario, and I, I just see a little bit more, more of a round, well-rounded two-way defenseman than Connaughton in, in him, so I'll, I'll go that route. All right, so then these minor league guys who, again, appeared in at least one game last year, you're looking at Logan O'Connor, Sheldon Dries, Jason Megna, and Anton Bubeau. Uh, I will allow for, uh, Paul, who's a little more familiar with French-Canadian, to correct me on that one if I got it wrong, but I gave it my best effort here. Look, for O'Connor and Dries, uh, nothing more than their qualifying offers, I think, is going to work here. I, these guys combined have played in 66 NHL games over the last two seasons. Um, you know, I, I think they're they're... They get slight pay, you know, salary bumps with those qualifying offers. It's it's how those deals work, uh, and so I that's how I kind of see both those guys playing out. In the case of Bibo, uh, you know, he will actually become an unrestricted free agent as part of what they term a, a Group Six unrestricted free agent. That means he's played three full professional seasons, but for goaltenders less than 28 NHL games. I think this speaks volumes about his future with the organization and that he hasn't played in 28 NHL games over three years. This team has Hunter Miska, Adam Werner, and Eustace uh, Anunin uh, all under contract next season, and so I don't think it makes sense to keep Bibeau or uh, Michael Hutchinson, as I alluded to. They've got a bunch of up-and-comers um, you know, who are going to be pushing the, the, you know, what they already have I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe look at the market for for a veteran backup on on the cheap. Um, they do have Frank Kuz, but I, I just don't see them fitting in either of those guys. In fact, I think Adam Werner would be a capable capable number two for them to push Frank Kuz next season. Finally, the last guy here, Jason Magna. You know, he played 58 games uh, for the Canucks back in 2016-17, but he's appeared in just nine. Over the last two seasons, this is a guy that if he's willing to sign a low cost two way deal, 
you keep him around with your AHL affiliate, another player who maybe could be in a leadership role with that group and, and help with your long-term development. So, Paul, what uh, what are your thoughts about these this group and, and the net mining situation here? Well, well, the net mining situation I'll address, and I'll remind you that uh, Philip Grubauer finished uh, the season on the injured reserve, so they have a pretty good tandem to start right. with him and Francouz uh, locked up for more than uh, just one. Well, Grubauer's one season uh, beyond this one, and uh, Francouz two years, and they're both well uh, compensated from the salary cap and cap-friendly uh, terms for the club, let's say, if I can steal from the, the website that we use, borrow so much from. Uh, the goaltending depth, though, is an interesting point. You mentioned Adam Werner. He got a cup of coffee with the with the big club last year when they had some goalie injury issues. Hunter Miska will need a new contract. He's coming into an RFA situation, and if they're looking for a goalie depth situation, they're going to choose him over Bebo just because he's younger and, uh, and a more highly regarded prospect. Bebo will have to find work elsewhere, in my opinion. Maybe he goes to Europe. That's uh, how low he is on the totem pole in my rankings. Uh, former Toronto prospect that really never made the grade in the NHL beyond a cup of coffee with the Leafs, I think he got a couple of seasons ago. Um, and then uh, Jason Magna, $700,000 for a guy who's coming into his age 31 year on a team that's got a lot of depth on defense. I think he's going to be looking for a new address next year as well. So really, to me, the goaltending quandary in terms of how much depth does this team really want, that's what, why they're going to look at uh, Werner's situation and Miska to see which one they want to commit to. If they say it's Werner, then they'll let Miska go, and he, instead of... Re- becoming RFA goes out into the wild blue yonder and see if he gets a job elsewhere. I do think they'll find a way to keep him though because most teams like to have a couple of guys in their uh, minor league system and so that's a pretty good tandem to put your hang your hat on. They have a goal, good goalie situation there and I think they have a young defense that uh, is coming along but it's the forward group that excites me. They found a way to put together a really solid second line at the start of last season and but for injuries that was short circuited a little bit but uh, this team's got a lot of pieces in place, and uh, I think they're going to be a, a noisemaker in the near future. Well, to round out some thoughts on this, I, I you know, I previously, here's what I pegged for, for Andre Burakovsky. I, I said a five-year, $22 million contract was probably what it would take to, to bring him into the fold. If this team wanted to instead be a little more active on the open market and wanted to make a big push, if you take that contract off the board you do everything else that i recommended you know you're talking your your uh nieto at 2.2 million your ryan graves deal um you know all those other things that i mentioned but you don't do uh that that contract for burakovsky that would give this club 9.1 million dollars available to spend and that would be enough to bring in taylor hall uh, you can make it work. I, I've I've done the math on it. You can get Taylor Hall in there uh, with this group. You're not sacrificing a whole lot. I'd rather have Taylor Hall than Andre Burakovsky, if I'm being perfectly blunt about it. <laughs> um, and the thing that they can offer Taylor Hall, in addition to actually meeting, I think both his term and uh, you know his his immediate price tag, and not have him make that one. Uh, year deal is they can also offer him a team that can be a Stanley Cup contender. This is a guy that has logged 627 regular season games. He's qualified for the postseason once and was out in the first round after five games. 
So I think what Taylor Hall probably wants more than anything else, and I think he thought he might be getting that this year in Arizona, is a playoff caliber team. Right. Um, and so I think that's going to be, you know, kind of the X factor in all this. You know, if you look, um, if we go for this 2014 format, we can talk about that if we want. Arizona just barely makes it into the playoffs this season. Yeah. Um, so I, I think what Taylor Hall wants more than anything else is to be competitive. And I would certainly take Taylor Hall over Andre Burakovsky any day of the week. So um, it's an intriguing idea that they would, instead of signing one of their RFAs, they would make a big splash in, in free agency. But the money is there and they can make it work if they want to. I want to give a nod to Kyle Riley, uh, our our partner at Rotowire in the hockey circle uh, of the group, and uh, he he has a plan that puts Colorado in position for a championship run next season with a little over five million dollars in cap space to play with. And uh, the scenario that he paints is they ha- they can either take a look in free agency now, or wait until the trade deadline with that excess cap, and then that five million dollars becomes even more of a factor because they can take on a bigger contract at the deadline at that point. So if a Taylor Hall-like player is available then, uh, heading into pot- potential free agent territory a year from now, Colorado might be well-situated to say, hey, come join us for a championship run. Uh, we'll take, we'll uh, pay the club handsomely to get uh, good assets to fit in under the cap and maybe entice uh, that uh, free, free agent-to-be to take a long look at them going forward. So if it's not Taylor Hall, it could be an e- equally talented player in the same price range a year from now with the excess cap space that we project for this club. So they really have some flexibility here, and uh, they could play it one of two ways in the short term and make the big splash now or wait a year from now and uh, do it at the trade deadline. Well, yeah, that pretty much rounds up uh, this week's uh, three articles. Uh, Hopefully you're enjoying them both on the site and us talking about them on the show. Uh, Looking ahead to next week, Detroit will come out later today. Um, And then we're going to go in uh, to Calgary on Thursday and Dallas on Saturday. So that's kind of our lineup for the week. Again, all of these articles free on rotowire.com, so you don't have to have a paid subscription to check them out. Obviously, we would encourage you to sign up for a subscription. There's a ton of great content on the site. Um, But again, these articles are free uh, if you want to dive into those. Uh, Paul, I think it's been another good look uh, around the league at these three teams, and I'm excited to do a couple more next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. You guys have done a really interesting, good job of coming up with interesting topics uh, to fill in the gap with no games being played. And uh, I, I hope that your your readership continues to grow exponentially and uh, people are intrigued by our look at the clubs when we get to talk about those same teams uh, on this show but we also have a segment that uh, comes up on a weekly basis in, uh, in the last few weeks that people have really enjoyed I think from the feedback that I've been seeing and that is redrafting prior years and we're looking at the 2015 draft AJ and uh, it's it's top heavy in terms of skill players at all the all the skating positions. Not so much in the net mining situation. And uh, it's my turn to go first. I told you before the show who I'm going to take number one. It's no surprise. It's going to be Connor McDavid, the de facto number one choice in the draft that year. In a very good draft year, it still looks like several of the top skaters were drafted very well in this in this opening round. Well, I was really hoping maybe you would, you know, homer this pick a little bit and go Mitch Martner at the top. Um, but obviously uh, you took McDavid. Look, the the center position gets overvalued in, in any amateur draft. 
Um, but there's a reason for that is the, the responsibilities that you get out of a center um, are, are more so than, than what you get from, uh, from a winger. And they have to be a higher caliber of player, to, to be perfectly honest, in, in order to play that position. So I'm going to stick with the center, stick with the number two overall pick, Jack Eichel. Certainly he is not Connor McDavid. He trails Connor McDavid. He's played three more games than McDavid in his career so far, yet trails McDavid by about 130 points at this point. So uh, very clear who the number one choice was and, and should have been. And um, But I think Eichel is a capable and a solid number two that was available that year. Right. And AJ, the third guy uh, is a guy that I really like coming out of junior. Dylan Strom seems to be coming into his own in Chicago of late, but he's well down the list in terms of uh, prospects that I would be looking at in terms of a redraft situation. And I'm uh, rather pleased to pick up a Leaf player in with my second round pick, and that's Mitch Marner. He is uh, almost a point a game player in his career as a pro, and figures to stay in that uh, high uh, rent district in terms of production uh, for the foreseeable future. I'm thrilled to get him with my second pick, and boy, wouldn't it be nice to see these guys playing on a line together? I'm very <laughs> excited at that prospect. Yeah, no kidding. Well. I'll, I'll just work our way down the uh, the top scorer list uh, at this point. There's no reason to really deviate there. And from uh, the next guy was actually taken in the second round, 35th overall. That's Sebastian Ajo uh, from Carolina. Got, uh, you know, he's third uh, in goals. So he's scored more goals than Mitch Marner at this point. Uh, Marner leads him slightly in, in the overall point total. But I think Ajo uh, works well in, in this next spot. Then, A.J., it becomes a bit of a coin flip over the next four guys at forward for me, even though Miko Rantanen is probably the top scorer among them by a wide margin coming off an injury-limited season last season. Uh, still a number one uh, front-line player for Colorado, of course, and I'm going to pick him with my third pick. 250 points over 281 games played. That's five forwards that are already over 250 points from this draft class uh, shows the the class of this draft yeah absolutely play on words (laughs) (laughs) well i'm going to take the uh, with my next pick i'm going to take the only other guy that uh currently has topped the 100 goal mark uh from this draft uh group and that's kyle connor who went 17th overall to the winnipeg jets Uh, i certainly agree with you ranting in were it not for the uh couple of injuries here there would would absolutely be in this uh you know, over a hundred in, in this group here, but uh, Kyle Connor has played for about 30 less games than, than Rantanen and has more goals than him at this point. So I think he'll at least make the discussion of top goal scorer from this group, obviously outside of McDavid, um, an, an interesting one down the road. And AJ, I'm going to pivot to defenseman and I'm not going to pick the highest scoring defenseman overall, but I'm going to pick the guy who has the most points per game of all the defensemen drafted in that class who have played more than 100 games. And that would be Thomas Shabbat of the Ottawa Senators. He was drafted 18th from out of the St. John Sea Dogs and as a pro has 119 points in 205 games play, played. And he's played about 25 to 30 minutes in a lot of those games. So I got my workhorse on the blue line in the, uh, in the fourth round. Uh, happy to grab Shabbat from the Senators. Well, that's just because of your Canadian bias and, and wanting a, a guy who played in the queue there. Uh, I'll go with the the uh, you know the U.S. player, uh, you know the guy who spent some time at the University of Michigan. That's Zach Wierwenski, went eighth overall to Columbus. 
has played 300 games, one of just uh, a handful of guys here who have reached that mark already uh, and offers, as you said, the most uh, point total so far uh, in his uh, in his career. But it'll be interesting to see once we get uh, to the end of their careers how these two stack up together because I do think it'll probably be a one-two punch in terms of best defensemen to come out of this draft. I'm so glad you said that about looking ahead five years because my next pick is a guy who will close the gap, I think, on a few of the guys that we've already drafted the forward position. When I look at Travis Konechny and what he did this past season in Philadelphia, it was a career season for him, and he got... Uh, a good chunk of the 185 points that he scored in his career to date in this past commuted season. So I'm happy to grab Konechny with my pick in the fifth round. All right. Well, I will uh, go back uh, to the order of, of top players. And we have not talked about Matthew Barzell yet. 16th overall to the Islanders. Uh, he has 207 points. Uh, he's the last player on the board here for us with uh, that has hit that 200 point mark. And so I think I will slot him in uh, as my next pick. And uh, then I'll, I'll be happy to stay with the Canadian teams in this draft, AJ. Drafted 23rd overall, Brock Besser is a guy who I think is going to weave magic with Elias Patterson uh, for the next several years in Vancouver. Another guy who is going to close the gap on uh, those pl- players outperforming him career to date. So Besser, another sniper for me. Oh, I love this offense I'm putting together. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I will stick with forward for now, um, and I think that speaks a lot to the remaining defensemen. That uh, there, there's a handful of other solid ones, but nobody that really sticks out. Uh, and so for me, uh, I'm going to go with Jake DeBrusque. Uh, I, I obviously his numbers are, are a little bit lower than some of the other guys on this list, but I think part of that just has to do with the team that he plays on. I mean, uh, this guy's not getting first, he'd probably get first line minutes on most other teams in the league i won't say all but most um but boston is just so so stacked at the top uh and so i think overall once you know as we get a few more years down the road debrusque will also be one of those climbers on this list after going 14th overall to boston and uh, I will finally get, a, get around to picking the guy who was third in this draft with my next pick. He was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes. And at the time of the draft, he was the guy I was really hoping the Maple Leafs would sign. I thought they could use a big, rangy center. And, uh, boy, there, there he is finally showing some, some real good skill offense, offensively. And I think by the time it's all said and done, he's going to go down as a pretty good two-way pivot. But uh, the offensive side, he's just scratching the surface here. And before he's done, if he sticks around in Chicago for a few more years, I think he's going to get more ice time on the top uh, scoring units, uh, even ahead of their captain there, uh, Jonathan Taves, because I see this guy really developing into a, a top scorer for the Blackhawks uh, long term. All right. Well, I'm going to go with a uh, couple, couple of guys here in the mix. I, I think ninth overall, Timo Meyer. Uh, you know, 76 goals, 81 assists. Again, still, uh, you know, coming into his own, but has, you know, 263 games under his belt. Uh, again, ninth overall to San Jose, and I think rounds out a pretty good uh, forward compliment here for me. All right. I like that pick. Uh, 
AJ, I'm going to go to the island. The New York Islanders picking Anthony Beauvillier. He's shown flashes of being a brilliant player, but then he goes to sleep for weeks at a time. I, I look at my notes in the past on this guy saying uh, there's been he's been such a streaky scorer. When he's hot, he's, he's white hot. But li- like I say, he goes MIA too much for my liking generally, and that's really what accounts for his point production to be less than half a point per game. I expected more from him coming out of junior uh, as he developed into a pro and maybe we'll still see that because the Islanders certainly have room to fit him in as a top six player and uh, I think maybe the best is yet to come for him let's let's hope it is well I'm gonna go for a a young defenseman uh, for my next pick was selected in the sixth round 154th overall by Edmonton actually and that's John Marino Played his first NHL season this year for my Penguins. Uh, Everything I have seen about him on the ice in one season, this is a guy that can move the puck from the back end. If it were not for, you know, the fact that Chris Letang has a a death grip on the number one power play spot, I think Marino could certainly be in the mix for that. I would expect next season uh, he will be the quarterback for the number two unit. Uh, And I think he is going to skyrocket in terms of offensive production down the road. Uh, a great player that really showed no signs of having to adjust to the NHL game at all. And I notice we both avoided goalies. It's a real thin market. I'm going to wait till my last pick to grab a goalie. I'm going to instead pick another defenseman and a guy who was regarded as the top defenseman in this draft class when the combines were done and the scouting lists were completed. Noah Hannafin's name was up there among the top skaters who went in the top four, and he was drafted fifth overall. I'll grab him with my ninth pick, uh, the 17th pick in our draft today all right well i will take um i thought about taking a third defenseman here because there are some intriguing youngsters um but i'm gonna go with kind of a youthful forward and instead there's a couple of guys i i'll toss names out here you know we talked today about christian fisher and, and his game connor garland for arizona has been really intriguing and jordan greenway for minnesota but the guy that i whose game i just love um you know, this could be a pick that would bite me in the butt at, at some point, but I think he'll get there. Is Adam Gaudet. Uh Again, kind of a center bias here, but was selected fifth round, 149th overall by Vancouver. I think he's going to be able to get more and more opportunities as, as they move forward here with him. And I really see him rounding out as a solid second-line center uh, before his career ends. And you know what? I predict that that career will end in uh, – will start up next in a year from now he'd be a guy in seattle that's uh, a guy that i highlight as tough for the vancouver canucks to fit into their uh, situation in terms of protecting players uh, for ahead of that draft and i think he's going to be a signature piece in seattle i love that pick by you and i think we're going to hear a lot about this guy going forward well it's come down to the goalie situation aj and there's only been five goalies from this class who have uh, got even as much as a game in the nhl level that was joey decord that leaves us to talk about aiden hill Ilya samsonov and the two guys who have played uh, maybe more prominently uh, than those guys are mackenzie blackwood and samuel moltenbow i'm gonna pick mackenzie blackwood i think he's got a a lock on the goalie situation top goalie situation in new jersey it's it's gonna be a while before new jersey's a factor in in uh in terms of being a quality team, but this guy is a quality goalie, and I think he's going to wind up being the best in this class. Wow, so I was getting fully ready to explain why I was going to go uh, with Daniel Vladder uh, for 
you know, Boston uh, in his year that he had in Providence uh, had a pretty solid campaign. Did he ever? Yep, fourteen seven and one in the AHL, a point nine three six uh, save percentage, one point seven nine goals against average. I was totally prepared and ready to go with that because I assumed that you would take Ilya Samsonov from Washington, uh, but you threw a curveball at me taking Mackenzie Blackwood. So I will make Samsonov my pick instead. Uh, I think he is probably going to be the best netminder uh, in this in this group. Uh, had some solid years uh, playing over in Russia, decent first year in the AHL, and I think he's really going to push for a more significant role heading into uh, you know next season with the Capitals and maybe the guy that forces Braden Holpe out. Yeah, he was the top goalie drafted in this this class. And look, at you picked him with your 10th pick. He was 22nd overall. So 20th in our draft, 22nd overall. Not bad at all in that circumstance, AJ. And that completes the sixth draft that we've done in this series. We really hope that our listeners have enjoyed this, this uh, process. We certainly have enjoyed bringing it to you. And uh, with that, AJ, any closing thoughts? I know you want to tee up a reminder about the articles that you guys do. And let's give Kyle Riley credit for doing a little bit of homework as well. It's great to see his written word. And uh, this guy is another guy that knows a lot about hockey at Rotowire. And we're really pleased to work with him. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been um, you know a lot of fun to go through the first first two weeks of these articles. Um, we're going to keep plugging away at them uh, at at that clip of about three a week. Um, you know that that gives us uh, about seven more weeks to to grind through here. And and I the one thing I will just say is uh, you know look out for that poll to come out on on Saturday or, or Sunday usually. Um, please consider voting for the Carolina Hurricanes because <laughs> you want to get to well, your club. <laughs> well, yeah, I want to start talking about metropolitan division teams, and and so we, you know, we do the poll includes one team from each of the divisions who's the the next up in terms of alphabetical order. So if we don't do Carolina at some point, we're gonna, you know, we'll get to the metro. It'll just, you know, potentially be at the end of this whole thing. <laughs> Um, uh, if we just continue the way we're going. So please consider voting for Carolina. But having said that, uh, if you're fans from all the other divisions and you like the way it's going, you know, we're going to keep following those poll results uh, as long as we can here. Um, And so, like I said, it'll be Detroit today, Calgary on Thursday, and then Dallas on Saturday. AJ, great job as usual on these articles and your explanation is very thorough and I've, I've learned a lot about this whole cap thing through your your exercise. Uh, I don't pretend to be an expert on it. Incidentally, I will be talking to the people at Cap Friendly to see if we can coax them to join us to join, uh, on this show at some point in the future, but certainly going to have some feedback uh, in a phone call that I've set up later today and I'll provide feedback to you and our listeners next week about their plans for that website and uh, what uh, what we might look forward to uh, in the off season from them so a great job again that wraps up this episode of podcast with statsman and aj our next episode is tentatively scheduled a week from now on tuesday let's hope we get some more news about the possibility of a playoff uh, and a resumption of play here as things start to ease up with this uh, covid uh, period that we're dealing with uh, we all look forward to p- some positive news in general the sports landscape is a big part of it for you and me but the, the real world also has to get back on its feet aj so we'll remind our listeners please send your comments or questions on twitter follow me paul bruno at statsman 22 you can follow aj at aj Scholes 24 as always we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey so long everybody 